Hey guys, a quick note before we begin. We recorded this back in May 2018, right after seeing the touring production. And then we were waylaid by family health stuff, work stuff, the holiday season. Then I had an amazing travel adventure in Indonesia, and then Reagan had her own travels. So we finally had a chance to edit this now nine months later. Wanted to give a quick content warning as we are discussing both the original Phantom of the Opera and the sequel. There is mention of several dark themes from stalking and obsession to rape and murder. Please use discretion. And as much of our discussion is trying to recount this insane plot, I don't think you'll need to have knowledge of either the original or the sequel as we will be taking you along on the journey. Also wanted to give a heads up that there are a few audio quirks and background noises as we shared a handheld microphone for this one. Still, I think our energy and joy in sharing our feelings shines through. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Everything That's Wrong with Tracy and Reagan. I'm Tracy Middlebrook. And I'm Reagan Middlebrook. We are sisters and enthusiastic observers of media, art, politics, and the world in general. But sometimes things are the worst, and we have opinions about it. So today, we're going to talk about everything that's wrong with Love Never Dies, the musical, spiritual successor, air slash sequel, depending on when you are talking to anyone involved in the production of Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Um, they do subtitle it The Phantom Returns. Yeah. So Tracy had season tickets to their local place that gets all the Broadway shows this year so that she could get tickets to Hamilton. And part of the season includes this Phantom of the Opera musical. Okay. And it's going to be terrible, right? Everybody knows it's going to be terrible. You right. can tell from the poster that has like a phantom mask covered in rhinestones. Yes, it's the bedazzled version of Phantom. Yes. So I get this text message from her after she goes and sees it, which I'm going to pull up here slowly. <laughs> I'm not prepared. Okay. I guess you sent me the Marco Polo about it. Uh, oh. But you just contacted me with lots of capital letters and exclamation points to say that if there was any way that I could see it, it was ending this current weekend, but it was the most bananas thing ever. And B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This Holy crap, you guys, I feel like I could talk about this musical forever and <laughs> how insane it is. I sent a tweet at intermission just saying something about wondering if one could do permanent damage from rolling their eyes too hard. <laughs> and that's how I found out because they retweeted it. There is an account called Love Should Die that basically just gathers all of the negative fan reaction and all of the negative press reaction and has been going since the disastrous um, first attempt at this sequel in London in 2010. Yeah. So I went and saw the show and it was indeed the most bananas thing ever. And I couldn't stop talking about it to everybody that I saw after that weekend. And I don't really know how to begin with all the explanations. Like, do we start with, like, the history of Phantom of the Opera as, like, a book? And, like, why all of this doesn't make sense? Do we start with just, like, here's what we saw and then go into deeper details? Right. It's, I don't know. 
Let's yeah. just talk about so, what we saw, I guess. So what we saw essentially is the most expensive vanity dream fan fiction yes. ever committed to stage. Apparently, allegedly, Andrew Lloyd Webber started working on this just a few years after the first Phantom launched. And it's been 30 years now. And then all these other people, there have been so many writers who've tried. It opened in the West End in London and closed very quickly to negative reviews. A few years later in 2012 or 2014, I don't remember, it opened in Australia to... 2011. So it was only one year later it opened in Australia. Oh, okay. Anyway, to mediocre reviews. Um, And they keep working on it. Now, very cleverly, the producers know that Phantom is a huge box office draw. It gets tons of people who don't normally see musicals. And so if they can find a way to ever get to Broadway, they think they can make money. I think they are wrong. But they very cleverly tied themselves to the touring package that had Hamilton. So playhouses across the country have been nearly sold out with subscribers who wanted those Hamilton tickets. And that's why we saw The Bodyguard, the musical this year. Mm. And some real trash. But this... It is lavish. It is well sung. Yeah, it's insane though. So like you described it as a fan fiction and that's really what it feels like and actually what it is and we're going to talk about that. But like you're watching this mad spectacle at Broadway scale. So all of their bad ideas are written so large. Like you have 20 dancers for this number. You have like you have this these carousel animals that are like monster carousel animals and you know like somebody crafted those and because it's like a a Broadway style musical that means that anytime they do a production they need the exact same costumes the exact same set the exact same choreography so so somewhere in a storage house there just have to be like anytime anyone i mean assuming well this is the touring production they right but But like they like you were saying like they tried it in 2010 in the west end they tried it in 2011 in melbourne 2012 in copenhagen 2014 in tokyo 2015 in hamburg 2017 (laughs) is the north american tour that we just saw i mean i mean i don't even need to reiterate the title but like well, and it must have been slightly retooled a little bit because I thought, I feel like in the Seattle press, I read something saying starting its, maybe just starting its 2018 tour in Seattle was the first part of that. I don't know. But anyway, where to start? Let's start from the plot. Okay. Even if they had changed all of the character names and made this its own story rather than this complete reimagining retconning of the original Phantom events. It's still a very dumb story. But if this were about just some insane man running a carnival. But the fact that they're making this a sequel and a continuation of these characters' lives is so flabbergasting. And for anyone who feels strongly about the original, this could really be heartbreaking. Like, I'm not emotionally invested in the original Christine and Raoul, but, you know, I mean, my junior high self was... I think my jaw hung down for the first five minutes when Phantom shows up at Christine, who you think would know better than to show up in rooms with a full-length mirror at this point. Yeah, there were so many mirrors in this, so by the way. So many full-length mirrors, and you're like, girlfriend, what are you doing? But then he shows up, and she sings a song like, oh, I thought you were dead because that angry mob got you or whatever. And she's so glad he's still alive, and they sing about their, like, 
love. Yeah, the- like their one night of romance where the Phantom left her before the morning and, and that's why she's mad at him because how dare you have left me. Rather than him being a stalking, kidnapping murderer. Right. Yeah. So that that is changed. Yeah. So it's like the rough sketch plot. Yeah, do it. Um, Is that... I mean, it's hard to say because the continuity doesn't exist, but like the Phantom, for whatever reason, is now in New York and Coney Island and he's running a carnival and two people from Paris who helped him escape have come with him. Uh, Yeah, let's. So the Phantom of the Opera, of the opera, who murdered people over high art, is now running a sideshow carnival vaudeville act with striptease numbers at Coney Island. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. It does. And apparently, Christine and Raoul, who escaped the Phantom in the original, have not had a single happy day since they got married. Oh, that's so upsetting because they are the love story of the original. Right. Their love is redemptive. He helps her save herself from Phantom. And like, they're the happy ending. Let me be your shelter. Let me be your light, your sin, no one will find you, your fears are far behind you. All I want is freedom, a world with no more night, and you always beside me. And to completely retcon it, you meet Raoul, and you hear Christine had to come to New York to open this opera house because Raoul has drunkenly gambled away all of their money. He is a cold, distant, and disapproving husband. He won't spend any time with their 10-year-old son who literally asks mom at one point, daddy doesn't love me because he never plays with me. Yeah, and that, which I I wasn't going to talk about it right now, but we have to talk about it. When that happens, Christine sings this song, this terrible, terrible song called Look With Your Heart. That is essentially about like, don't look at the way people treat you to tell whether or not they love you. Just look with your heart and you'll know whether or not they love you. Like, it doesn't matter how they act to you. And it's so fucked up. And like, what a thing to be singing to your 10 year old child. What kind of human being do you want them to turn into? What kind of a life do you want him to have? Like, that's bad parenting, Christine. Yeah. Forget what you think. Ignore what you hear Look with your heart It always sees clear Love is not always beautiful uh, But anyway, so she gets this offer to, to open some new metropolitan opera house and comes to New York where the Phantom sends people to whisk her to Coney Island. And- so yeah, so hilariously, a lot of people have made a big deal about the fact that this completely changes the timeline because this is like 20 some years after the dates of the opera house but they're saying it's only been 10 years the only reason i well i guess probably because coney island wasn't around i was thinking so they could mention hammerstein's name because they keep being like oscar hammerstein has a new manhattan opera christine's gonna sing in yeah but apparently that character is supposed to be like the grandfather of so it doesn't none of it oh it's not even so who cares right Right. but anyway yeah phantom sends his sideshow henchmen to kidnap christine and her family and bring them under false pretenses to his coney island (laughs) room yeah where the phantom meets her and is like sing for me for one night and i'll pay you twice what blah 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 
And then there's all this drama because the two French people who have been helping the Phantom, one of them is the mother and one's the daughter, and the daughter wants to become the new star. Right, so they're also in Phantom. It's Meg, the chorus girl, who was presented as Christine's, like, best friend yeah. back in the day, but apparently they have not kept in contact in these ten years. And the Madame Geary, I think yeah. she was, like, the ballet mistress. It happens to be Meg's mom. I don't know if that's true in the original. So they... Yeah, they smuggled the Phantom away from the mob, got him to Calais, took a boat to New York, where he opened this sideshow. They acted as his business contacts and liaisons. Then there's a song later that kind of implies that maybe Meg prostituted oh, herself. Oh, definitely. Okay, because I only, Reagan got the soundtrack. I just watched it once. But that she chatted up businessmen to get investors. More than chatted up. Oh, there's is like, it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's so heartbreaking because... But see, that's why she's so damaged. Right. But so she, okay, my heart is so sad for the character of Meg because she has spent a decade doing these girly dance number strip teases and then apparently also prostituted herself to get this phantom his investment money. They spent 10 years working for him. And then as soon as he hears Christine's coming to Manhattan, he's like, fuck it. But even before that, he still is not really interested in Meg as a performer. Yet we see her do her girly dance number and she's so giddy and hopeful that finally this vaudeville song that she's done and has been doing vaudeville songs for a decade is going to be the one that the Phantom will hear and know she's an amazing opera singer and suddenly want to train her vocally. And then she gets the news that the Phantom wasn't even around to listen to it and she's all bummed out. That is... So much more depressing it's than a- the way that I was looking at that. Like, I mean, I guess it has been <laughs> 10 years, but like the way that they talk about her just having got this leading lady slot made me think that this is something new for her. But that's even worse because she's billed as the ooh-la-la girl. Yeah. Like, yikes. And it's been a decade. Yeah. And and so like their grievance towards it's the le- end is legit. Le- oh, we'll get to it. We, we but, have to get to uh, the rest of the plot. So yeah, anyway. So- so anyway, Madame Geary is like, oh, Christine is coming. It's terrible. And Meg is all excited because it's her friend. And so they like see her again. And then they find out that Christine is there to sing. And so it's like, oh, and they have this number that's actually a decent number about like, so great to see it, an old, old dear friend yeah. or whatever, uh, where they're like all being slightly backstabby. My dear old friends, come and leave your as an artiste, what a surprise, to say the least. Yes, dear old friend, that's a happy dear old friend. I can't conceal, try though I may, the way I feel. So I pretend, I'm sure it's clear, to such a dear old friend. So, in the song where Christine and Phantom are talking about how much they love each other, and, and I'm like, what is happening? Because I had not read the plot before I went into this. Then Phantom's like, Christine, you have to sing for me. And she says no. So then Phantom threatens the life of her child and is like, if you don't sing for me, I'm going to kidnap and potentially murder your son. And then Christine is still conflicted about whether she loves the Phantom or not. And is like, oh, I'll consider singing. <laughs> I mean, the original has obsessive stalking, but the motivation or, or I guess explanation of the Phantom being a recluse and super messed up, you can sort of see where his unhealthy behavior comes from. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. It's <sighs> so much more inexcusable in this one, especially as they're presenting, rewriting the first one in these rose-colored glasses scenario. Well, like, he isn't meant to be like a normal person. You know, like the the first Phantom of the Opera musical, 
you don't really ever get any songs that are from his perspective, really, or anything that's like, you know that he wants Christine, you know that he's like, loves music and is like being a weird, creepy puppet master behind the scenes, like sending instructions to the people who run oh. the opera house, like do things my way. Yeah, Andre, what a charming gala. Christine enjoyed a great success. We were hardly bereft when Carlotta left. Otherwise, the chorus was entrancing, but the dancing was a lamentable mess. Dear Ferma, just a brief reminder, my salary has not been paid. Send it care of the ghost by return of post PTO. No one likes a debtor, so it's better if my orders are obeyed. Who would have the gall to send this? Someone with a pure I'll brain. These are both signed OG. Who the hell is he? Opera ghost. But he's not like, he doesn't have conventional romantic love song uh, the yeah, way that I mean, he does in this. Like, it's, Well, yeah, I guess the the line in the first one that always gets me is when Phantom oversees Christine and Raul following, falling in love. Yeah. And he's initially heartbroken. Yeah. And he says the line. It's a great character moment of like, yeah. I spent all my time creating, helping her flourish in this beautiful voice. So it's like, he's his own downfalls, kind of. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm... And so that was always really powerful and a sweet insight. But then he instantly flips into an obsessive, crazy, vengeful yes. murderer. And it's suddenly like, that's fine. Then it's war on both of you because you dared to love someone else. You will I'm trying to figure out, I guess, what it is that's the difference. Because you're right, like, he, it's not like he's not a full character. And you do feel some sympathy for him in the first one. But he's always a maniac. Yes. He's always not a real, I guess. And he's not at all in this. He he doesn't murder anyone yeah. in this one. There's, he's just there's like, no murder. There's no violence. He's, he's just like a boss. Your romance novel Byronic hero in this. Mm, yeah. He's just a bad boss. Yeah. Is the only evil he has is that he's sometimes mean-ish to his employees or distant to his employees. Yeah, or just doesn't notice the things that Meg is doing for him because he doesn't care about her. But, like, he's not yeah. a yeah. murderous psychopath esthete. Like, he's just... Yeah, and there's... I mean, there could be an interesting story of the Phantom being able to actually be more a regular person in Coney Island with sideshow freaks. Sure. They don't explore that. Yeah, that would be a cool story. But I mean, I isn't see, that him finding his humanity and, like, being monstrous looking doesn't make you mean you have to be a monster? Like, that's interesting. So, because I, I went, you know, to everyone, I was like, Coney Island. Like, that's the huge laugh line. Like, you lost me at the opening line of this plot. But then I came across that mention in one review and went, oh, yeah, there was potential there, maybe. That is not on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways. So, then, Phantom somehow encounters Christine's son who conveniently is 10 years old and it's been 10 years and out of nowhere there is suddenly a rock and roll song well it's not out of nowhere Tracy it's out of nowhere Gustav the 10 year old boy uh, 
who in the source material they're using for this is named Pierre, which makes sense because his parents are French. But yeah. in the play, his name is Gustave. Uh, but they and... spelled it the French way. But anyway. Oh, I didn't know those are French names. Well, it's an F-E instead of a V. Anyway. Anyway, so he's like tooling around on this piano and plays a, a riff from the original Phantom soundtrack. And the Phantom is like, what? What is that? Sing for me. And then he sings the bit that Christine sings from the original play. And, and then they launch into this rock song. That... Right. And it's it's an amazing spectacle. And suddenly there is an eight foot tall giant dancing rat skeleton that has like a human skeleton bursting out of its chest bones. It's the coolest puppet ever. If you were at like a Halloween themed event. Nightmare fuel. No explanation. No context. Well, it's it's so the song they start. It's just like, okay. It's all I'm about all look, in on all of this. It's like, all about looking for the beauty within, right? The it's beauty the underneath. Yep. The beauty and, underneath. And it's just like the phantom singing to the child, like, do you hear the dark music? Yes. Do you feel the beauty underneath? Yes. Might you hunger to possess hunger that you can't repress? Yes. And it's just like seducing this child into like this right. underworld. Right. Well, I was not all in because I was like, oh, God, where is this going? Oh, like, it was gross. Oh, I didn't take it anyway. that way. I just thought it was like, aren't you an evil little boy, too? Uh, <laughs> which is what it was. Join me in my evil lair, except he's not evil in this. He's just a boss. Yeah. But but just like the spectacle is amazing. They have these huge, tall, like mirrored prisms that are like swirling around on stage with little designs on top and like all of these dancers along with that skeleton thing that comes out. And then... At, at one point, um, they light up the prisms from within and you can see through the glass halfway and so you can see these sideshow people that are inside there and doing dances as well. Like, it is just... And, you know, it's got the the turntable thing going on the stage and so things yep. are just going around in the spiral and it's crazy. And, like, I like circus carnival aesthetic seeing this at broadway scale was amazing for me it's all the shit that yep. i love the play is insane yep. but it's it's insane in such like a grandiose way oh my god so this is where the phantom guesses that perhaps gustav is his secret rape baby we'll get into that in a second Later, Christine does confirm Phantom's guess about the boy's parentage. But the Phantom's proof to figure out the boy is his is that the boy was a good singer and he played the piano for like a minute. But the, he no. played the Phantom song. Yeah, okay. Tracy. And he's so beautiful, perhaps too beautiful. What I suspect can so because they the, both no, hear the music because, right because the boy can hear the music so yes the fandom could hear the music you know who else could the boy's mom she's also a good singer and it's quite possible for the child of a great <laughs> of a great female singer to be a great singer regardless of who the father is and i'm also not actually sure that singing talent is genetic <laughs> apart sure is. from that but if it is we know it goes through the maternal line so to just say well clearly it must be my seed is uh, beyond. Okay, but so... It's because he feels the darkness. Yeah, it's all of those yeses yeah. that he was answering yeah, see, in that I song. I didn't buy the soundtrack, so I only saw it the one time. But so that means Gustav is a secret rape baby. Well, he will... Okay, uh... no, let's, let, let's, let's go to the first one and figure out when this happened. Did they fuck in the boat when Phantom hypnotized her and took her in? Or while she was passed out in the bed the first but night? But here's the thing that, I mean... So there's the book Phantom of the Opera from right, 1909, and then there's a book sequel to that, 
which is like actually the relationship was like this and this musical is based on the book sequel that's based on the events that happened in the first book but but it's not because this is billed as a sequel of the first so in the first musical let's try to figure out when this baby happened (laughs) so christine initially is seduced by phantom's music she thinks he is literally an angel of music sent by her dead father and he hypnotizes her with phantom magic and they go on a magical boat ride and then she passes out in his bed so that's one option i know but Uh, but then you can't consider this a sequel to the musical even though they're billing it that way because in that song where the phantom and christine are talking about like their one night of passion and then you know the phantom left her in the morning that didn't happen in the musical in the musical they had their one night together which if anything happened would definitely be rapey and then she like took off his mask and was like horrified and the spell was broken and left right and then later at the end of the musical he actually kidnaps her when she's fighting against him and forces her to put on that wedding dress in the really creepy scene and then raul comes to free her so maybe phantom raped her then except that the song implies they have a different history Oh, okay so so Phantom was supposedly killed by the mob, but then she secretly screws Phantom like what the night before her wedding. Well, that's and then what somehow I'm saying. He's like dead. you're saying, I'm saying these aren't the same characters. They do just have the same names, even though they're billing it for like marketing purposes as a sequel to the first musical. Well, that, it isn't. Well, but Andrew Lloyd Webber says it is. He said it isn't. No, but then he went back. If you read his second yeah. review, and he says no, clearly these are the same characters. But he says, not, and he said the reason it wasn't a sequel is he didn't want people who hadn't seen the first to think they couldn't see this. Okay, well. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying, but that's not what the creator. The text say. doesn't support that. I understand because this is fucking bananas. But I worked with Ben Elton on a project. And Ben, who's a very, very clever storyteller, said, you know what, this whole thing is really all cuckoo. He said, you've got a fantastic basis, the idea of him going to America, the idea of him perhaps going to Coney Island. It's it's wonderful. But uh, you're not developing all the original characters. You're not taking them with you. You're putting in new characters. I'm going to do a plot which comes up with the original characters transported. So I have to go back to this. Supposedly, if it is sequels and if they had sex during... Then yes, obviously it's a rape baby. No, but in addition to that, there is a several months of plot break. The chandelier breaks and the opera house is shut down for at least three months. So does Raul just think opera singers only gestate for four months, five months? How pregnant at their wedding is she? Well, no, because if it would have to be... Or did he rape her the second time when he forcibly kidnaps her and puts her in the wedding dress? Or maybe she and Raul had had a sexual relationship before then and so she could play it off that way but i really don't feel like it's worth this much of our time trying to figure out the timeline when obviously it doesn't yeah i guess that's just the biggest the most upsetting part i mean fundamentally you know that they're like oh phantom and christine were in love and had sex and you're like no right like yeah so i found a quote from the director of the australian production that said the central plot idea is that the phantom and christine have slept together if people don't buy that, then they're never going to come on board with the show. And I guess fundamentally, yes. Right. I am not on board with this show. No. That's why it's fan fiction. That's why fan fiction, like, great, have have your torrid Draco and Harry Potter love scenes. But they're not in the actual text. They belong on the internet, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. 
So secretly, this kid is the Phantoms. And then Phantom says that don't ever tell him because he'll be too horrified by me. But I'm going to secretly leave all of my fortunes to him. And Madame Geary overhears this and is like, dang, we saved your life and smuggled you out of Paris and spent 10 years prostituting my daughter to build your fortunes. Glad you're going to leave it to the child of a vicomte. Even if he gambled away all his money, like, this kid's going to be fine. He's friggin' nobility and has shit. And her little prostitute vaudeville daughter has how many more years of burlesque left in her? Like, they're screwed. So uh, then we see Raul being drunk in a bar where he's been all night and it's morning now. Uh, and he sings this Why Does She Love Me song that actually I keep getting stuck in my head. But it's another terrible song. Like, I am horribly emotionally abusive to my wife. Why does she love me? She needs my tender kiss. She begs it of me. I give her ugliness. Why does she love me? It's so upsetting, you guys, because Raul, like, apart from all the rest of it, like, Raul was the love interest. And he was great. And you find out that he is this sad, drunken, misogynistic, terrible The only dude. thing he ever did wrong was not listen when Madame Geary, whoever told him to, like, put his fucking hand in front of his face so that he wouldn't get strangled by the phantom. And he right. didn't. And there he was one piece of phantom. advice in the first one. But... Put your hand at the level of your eyes. And so then as he's having his drunken pity party where he closes out the bar and he's like, oh, should I close my tab? And Raul's like, no, I'm still drinking. And he's like, "Okay, well, that's okay. The next bartender's coming on. And then in the most boring stagecraft, quote unquote, magic ever, the new bartender turns around and it's the Phantom. And drunk Raul, like he's so drunk. He's literally falling down and knocking (laughs) over chairs, several chairs (laughs) during this duet. Yeah. And... It's kind of a fun duet, too. It is. It, the devil takes the high most. It's, a, it's, one, it's one of the few not boring songs. I won her long ago. I won her play. Then I you and I. Now I'll once again. again. And when the, the game end. is done, either way, devil take the hindmost. But it's so stupid. I mean, what happens plot-wise is so stupid because it's essentially like they're feuding over Christine and the Phantom is like, all right, if you can convince her to not sing tonight, even though I've hired her to sing, then I will pay all of your debts and she can leave with you. But if she sings, then I I win her. Right. And right. you will yep. leave. They're, they're making a wager over who gets to keep Christine because obviously she doesn't have any choice in the matter. Right. And then like Raul leaves and is, is like, what have I done? And it's like, but... Nothing. This is not a binding contract. This right? is not how humans work. Right. And so then Raul goes to Christine's dressing room and pleads with her to skip the performance. And this is where he vows to finally start being a good husband. This is where it is revealed that their last happy day together was their wedding day. But, they don't uh, even say wedding night, right, guys? Uh, like, rough. But he doesn't tell her the stakes. He just says, hey, let's leave. Not like my debts will be taken care of, right? And so Christine, from a very rational point, even if you took away the obsessive maybe I love Phantom thing, would be like, I sing one song and all of our debts are covered. Why would I go? Let me think about it. But if he just explained the stakes to her and gave her some agency in this choice, apparently Christine would choose Phantom regardless, even if Raul had been a decent partner and father, which he clearly wasn't because of their magical love. Because they sing a song when they first meet up that she thought he was dead. So if you're retconning the history, Reagan, to say that they hooked up after the mob violence. So no, they not a... after the mob violence. You said... 
So, but before the wedding. So the play ends with mob violence on the night she escapes from Phantom. Yeah. It's going to be at least a few weeks to plan a VCOM's wedding. Probably I'm saying more. none of that happened. That's what I'm that saying. That didn't exist at the all. The first These musical are brand never new happened. Who supposedly met in the past and she thought he was dead. Yeah. But unrelated to all of it. Yep. That's the only way the plot works. The yeah. Stupid, think, stupid plot. I don't think you get to make the plot work by being. I mean, that's just like. And then space I mean, aliens and time travel. Like, you can't. It takes space aliens and time travel regardless of whether you say yeah, that the first musical happened true. or not. That's true. Anyway. Okay, so they, yeah, they, they gamble for Christine's life. And, and then... she sings, and then she's like, oh, I forgot what it's like to sing good music. And also, okay, is it just me, or is it like, isn't it a part of the plot in the first one that, like, the Phantom is a terrible composer? Like, he composes this music and, like, this opera that he forces everyone to sing for him, and everyone is like, this is terrible, you should adjust it this way, like all of the opera singers. I don't know, that I never took it that it was terrible, I took it that he was unconventional. That okay. he had written, he had written a very groundbreaking, totally different... I thought it was atonal... It's it's weird. But so then it was weird for me to hear her sing like, oh, I've been longing to sing real music like the kind that you write. But, well, that was weird anyway, because she's apparently spent the last 10 years becoming a famous European opera singer. Enough that there's 1907 paparazzi waiting to greet the cruise ship that she landed on. Yeah, but it's the also f- been a long time since she sang. I'm not really sure what Is the timeline is oh, okay. supposed to be. But, uh, so, here's... Because she's, fun. like, coming out of retirement to do this oh, thing. Oh, okay. When she shows up to sing the final number, we get never-before-seen-or-referenced peacock imagery. Peacocks are cool, Trace. Christine is in this giant, lovely peacock dress, surrounded by a peacock feather set design that is over the top. Broadway scale. No context. Singing, obviously, Love Never Dies Forever. And Raul leaves partway through the song and leaves her a note. So he's just like, hey, I'm abandoning my family and going back to Paris because I lost a wager. Have fun living with the Phantom now. Peace. <laughs> like, and abandons his son. That, like, as right? far as he knows, is his son. I, oh, rough. Then after singing and Ra- she gets the note that Raul's gone, she notices her son is missing. They're terrible parents throughout. Yeah. Both of them are. I mean, apart from the fact that she's, she says that she loves Gustav. In every scene when the child doesn't have another song, they send every scene and interaction is sending him away. It's always like, honey, go to your room. Honey, go wait in the hallway. Honey, go wait backstage. The grownups have to talk. Especially like their first night when they get kidnapped, tricked by the circus people and get brought to the secret room. They just send him off to put himself to bed in a brand (laughs) new place. They've just sailed from France and then he's gone. And then he interrupts the love song quote unquote love song with Phantom and Christine reuniting and he's like mommy I'm scared I couldn't sleep and she's like honey this is mommy's special friend <laughs> and she introduces him as a friend and well I mean I guess you couldn't say secret lover and your father and that's when Phantom's like hey if you don't do what I say I'll kidnap and possibly murder your child Yeah, as any good loving partner would yeah so they real she realizes that Gustav is gone and someone says they they saw Meg's dressing room where the mirror was smashed and they saw her leave with the boy and so then you get this scene there's also a m- moment that happened earlier where we see find out that Meg goes swimming all the time which I guess is supposed to be make this like less out of nowhere it's foreshadowing um 
but so Meg has seized Gustav and knows she's about to lose everything and she's going to go drown him because we also already know that Gustav can't swim. Oh, I think um, we learn it in that scene as she's standing on the pier and he's like, please, Meg, I want to go no, home. They, I they can't swim. They mentioned it earlier. He was excited about learning how to swim. Oh, It was like okay. a one-line thing. Anyway. Uh, but, but so the Phantom and Madame Geary and Christine all chase them Not down Raoul, the pier. because he's headed off to find a boat back yeah. to France. And she's going to throw the little boy in and the Phantom is like, they convince her to let Gustav go. And then she like pulls out this gun and she's going to kill herself. And yeah, then there's Meg, like Meg is going to kill herself because what's the point? Right. The, the Phantom sings this like Beauty Underneath reprise where he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were like whoring yourself for me. I should have been paying more attention and I can see the beauty underneath and you're a good person. and You should live. And so she's like sort of convinced. And then he's like wrestling with her for the gun and the gun goes off and shoots Christine because of course it does. Um, and mm-hmm. then. Meg and Madame Geary flee and the phantom like holds Christine in his arms and, and Gustav is just like standing there right. watching his mother die. Yes, this 10 year old just watched his mother be shot and she's dying and it takes her like 15 minutes to die. There's like three more songs <laughs> and it's so melodramatic. And then Christine, oh, the phantom had made her promise never to say that he was the father. And then she is like, hey, by the way, Gustav, I know I'm dying right in front of you and your person you think is your father is missing. But this deformed monster you just met... <laughs> That's your real dad. <laughs> As the fandom is pleading with her to say, please don't tell the boy. And then she sings that reprise Look With Your Heart song yeah. again. And then Raul comes in because someone has. Oh, Gustav him. runs off. Oh, okay. She, she's like, this is your real, this monster is your real dad. And the boy runs away. So Phantom and Christine can sing another love song. Yeah. And boring, then, boring love song. And then the boy comes back with the person he, with Raul, who he thinks is his dad. Who looks the at person Chris- who has raised him anyway. Right. His father. Right. Yeah. I hate that. Like your bio dad is not your quote unquote real dad. Although it sounds like Raul was also a distant absent father. But uh. so. And then it ends with like uh, Raul crying over Christine's body and the little boy like reaching towards Phantom and his deformed face. Yeah. He takes off the mask. He's standing next to the dead body of his mother. And Phantom takes off his mask and the little boy is not terrified and is able to be great. Happily ever after. So I had this brief My Two Dads fantasy when Gustav... (laughs) Because of the way it was staged. So they're on this sloping inclined ramp going to the pier. And Phantom is cradling Christine's body as she's dying. And Raoul shows up and he sort of is like climbing up the ramp along the railing. And it looked kind of like he was climbing to phantom and i was like oh this is gonna be great the two of them will raise the boy together but then phantom went off in the corner to have the thing with the boy yeah and also i not that worrying about aristocratic legacies is my top priority here but i guess raul's v-comped title will go to his cousin or something because now phantom is going to raise the boy so raul has lost his heir to his thing i mean that's just a side like okay whatever because now he's the Coney Island sideshow magnet. Yeah. 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 I don't know about your performance at mine. At least 20% of the audience did not return at intermission. Oh, they did at mine. I wish they wouldn't. It was very warm and very crowded. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, it was like, oh, this is a significant number of people not here. That said, the woman next to me wept unironically during the entire finale. Huh. So I did my best to hold in my Snickers. Right. Because. Right. You don't want to ruin it for her. But but also, I could not help it. Yeah. I was shaking. Maybe people thought with tears and crying, but it was holding in laughter. And people did do the Seattle standing ovation thing and insane hoots and hollers during curtain call. 
And I will say, I mean, the singers were, in addition to lavish sets, the singers were very proficient at singing mostly really boring songs. So I just want to talk for a little bit about the history of the fandom of the opera. Okay, go for it, because you did some research on that. I mean, the original novel is from 1909 by Gaston LaRue, and I thought it was fiction apparently it actually is based a little bit on fact according to wikipedia i don't know but he presents it in a way that a lot of old-timey books did and some non-old-timey books anyways he's telling it as if this was a true story like here are the newspaper articles of the time here are the eyewitnesses accounts here's like the research i did and what i was able to prove about this tale of the phantom of the opera uh that passes into public domain so some dude in the 90s writes a sequel to it called the phantom of manhattan where he's like well actually gaston larue got some of his sources wrong here's what really happened no so if you look at the timeline of the phantom of manhattan that author was helping andrew lloyd weber work on this sequel before the book the phantom of manhattan gets published oh really so to me looking at the timeline it looks like they came up with this plot or that guy came up with this plot they tried to make the sequel the sequel wasn't happening so the guy published the book first and so then they're like oh the sequel is now an adaptation of this book so i was just blaming all of the inconsistencies on the fact that it was based on a novel that was based on the book you, like, yeah. they both had the same source material, but then, like, diverged. And so it, they, like, that makes it worse because then it's like yes. they could have fixed everything that was wrong with it. That's what I keep trying. You, Yeah. I'm like, no, everybody involved in this has been all in the whole time. That's disappointing. As my roommate had pointed out as we were talking about this, because I did for the two weeks afterwards need to go to every single person I met and be no. like, have you heard of Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> I have to tell you these four sentences. <laughs> and everyone basically goes, oh, God, no. Like, my mom when I just started telling the thing and I was like, oh, and Phantom and Christine loved each other. And she's like, no, the kid is not Phantoms, is it? And I was like, it is, it is. But my roommate had pointed out, isn't Andrew Lloyd Webber like in his 80s now? He's at least in his 70s, which is, as we all know, a time when artists are known for being super groundbreaking and great. That's not to say there are some great, you know, older artists who continue to make good art. He's only 70. I was giving him credit for being much older. He's only 70? Yeah. Ooh, that's a rough British 70. <laughs> he looks rough. I, I haven't seen a modern picture. But oh. I was just like trying to give him credit for that because, I mean, because. Give him credit for. I don't know that I want to say. On <laughs> Be, being an old man being and he still did a thing. Yeah, yeah maybe we should yeah, cut this. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, that's good for him. <laughs> that's so awesome. Not getting scammed by Norwegian princes, just getting scammed by his own mind. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Oh, it, a little bit I found, apparently, so I didn't read the plot of the London version, which I guess had significant rewrites yeah. when it went to Australia, but I did just see it mentioned that the opening song done by the Sideshow people is sung by the ghost of Miss yeah. Fleck. So apparently the sideshow ghosts are narrating the story. Yeah, well, so, like, I got you the did. soundtrack, okay. but it's it's the soundtrack to the 2010 version. Um, oh, So it's okay. different. And some of the songs are the same, but, like, the, the new one opens with, like, the phantom longing for Christine in this boring fucking song about how he can't write music anymore until he hears her sing again, blah. Uh, but this one starts out, like, way darker and creepier with, like, Madame Geary finding the ruins of the carnival and, like, singing a song with a ghost, and the ghost is like, you ruined everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and so it instantly takes you to, like, we're just going to be dark and weird as shit, which I'm all about. Uh, so there apparently 
is a filmed for PBS version that you can get on is DVD there. that we need to find. Yes. Um, I found this Entertainment Weekly interview with Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's from several years ago because it's talking about Phantom being 25 years old and it's now 30. They're asking, you know, do you think Love Never Dies will make it to Broadway? This is, you know, Sir Lloyd Webber talking about the history. It's like it didn't work in London completely. I was very, very proud of it, but something just went slightly wrong. You know, if you see a show, you don't enjoy it. It may be that the design is not fitting the music or it could be a number of reasons. The difference between success and failure is super tiny. And then he throws out, I mean, not to make fun of a guy who was battling prostate cancer, but he throws that like is his reason the London show wasn't good. You know, I had cancer just before the production and just that crucial 5% was off. Wow. But so then he goes on to talk about how, you know, they filmed a version. They were more successful in Australia. And he says the guys from NBC Universal saw some of the footage of the press stuff and they said they'd very much like to film it. And I thought, what a fantastic opportunity. So there'd be a record of this show I'm very, very pleased with. I think it's critical there is that the NBC Universal guys did not see the entire show. They watched the press package. So they just saw a few little bits and went, oh, wow, this is lavish and well sung and a popular medium. Not, I'm sorry, you've done what with the plot? <laughs> yeah. Let's have to see if Scarecrow has it. I know. We, yeah, we definitely, I'm, I'm gonna... I definitely want to see the ghost song. I'm... I don't, well, it sounds like they filmed it, the Australia version. Oh, did they? The, the Australia oh, okay. version is the press package the NBC people saw. Uh, never mind. I mean, I would still see it. It's whatever. <clears throat> okay, so. Uh, I think people agree with us is. Positivity corner. We do that first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's not all okay. negative. That's right. But we didn't want to be a bunch of negative Nellies. Or Debbie Downers. Or Criticism Christinas. It's time for Positivity Corner. Yeah. So enthusiastic because there's so much positive. Okay, so things that are positive. I have legit had the song stuck in my head. I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber, obviously you're going to, but like the Beauty Underneath song, on the soundtrack, it's creepier. Like the child is a little junior murderer. a little junior murderer um in the play that i saw that the child actor was just very sweet and so you have like the phantom being like don't you feel the darkness and the child is like yes and this adoring little tiny little sweet voice our child actor was great and really felt like oh somebody needs to stage all of her with him right like he just had that beautiful high clear voice yeah so that was good like the why does she love me song keeps getting stuck in my head like the you know themes and just like but only if a few songs are great 
but only a few. There are some, if my brain had not been busy being broken, trying to figure out, wait, they're doing what with the plot and the characters? They're really long and boring. There are several really boring songs and they bring back little tiny 10 second snippets of the original. And you get so excited because you're like, oh, this is the thing I know and liked. Oh, it's over. Now we're more boring. Yeah. I mean, there are parts of the original Phantom that are boring. That's true. That's very true. Um, anyway, more positive. The spectacle was fantastic. Seeing this insane fever dream on Broadway scale with like so many dancers and like so many lights and just like ridiculous set pieces. Yes. yes. Was the only way to see it. Yeah. The, I loved the costumes. I liked some of the set design. I actually hated some of the set design. I liked what they were going for, but it was so dark. And I don't mean thematically. I mean, literally dark. And we had the, ch- I had the cheap seats up in the corner balcony Mm -hmm. so while they were playing up you know there's different times like electric lights come on and stuff a lot of it a good third of the stage was just in darkness and so i missed out on what was probably lush and rich because i wasn't close enough to be able to see it but i did love the costumes i thought that everybody could sing really well and that is not always true Mm -hmm. and i appreciated that i appreciated the love never dies song not to the point of people falling all over i don't like sopranos yeah oh this isn't a positivity but i forgot to say it so phantom of the opera to me is about cape twirling (laughs) the man twirls his cape it's great and the movie is terrible but you know what gerard butler gets right twirling his cape he's twirling it for all he's worth and Phantom, when we first see him twirling his cape, this is going to be great. And then he doesn't wear a cape anymore. He shows up as a bartender, just in pants and suspenders. <laughs> what is this? There's no, what? And then he's just in, just a jacket, just a regular jacket. If you can't twirl your cape, why am I here? <laughs> anyway, that's just a, just another thing they got wrong. But more positivity. Do we have any? When I was reading the, the plot of the 2010 version, <laughs> there was... <laughs> part where the three main circus performers land in a hot air balloon to announce that Christina is going to be singing that night to people on a beach. And I'm very sorry that I missed getting to see that. So I love that, right? That's a, that's a totally stupid, you know, Miss Saigon helicopter on stage moment. And that was one of my questions. So in the plot, Christine Daae, this world famous European opera singer, is now going to sing one night only, one song only, at this Coney Island burlesque vaudeville sideshow the very next day that is not enough time to get the word out and tell the people who actually like opera to come see this so presumably the audience is just the families at coney island who've been eating hot dogs and cotton candy and are all grimy from the beach the people who came to watch the girly show the song right before christine's opera number is a strip tease that poor Meg sings as she changes into, she keeps revealing different layers of bathing suit costumes at the time, which is sort of sweet now because we're like, oh, look at how modest and covered she is. But it ends with her presumably naked behind an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Straight into Christine's opera number. So the dudes at Coney Island who were coming to watch the tasseled striptease number are totally the opera fans who are going to be all in. Yeah. But if they'd been in a hot air balloon flying over Manhattan, presumably... That could have gotten the word they out. They weren't flying over Manhattan. They were just like, I think there was a song. Of oh, just on Coney Island. Beach. Yeah. Oh, so they just were getting the families. Hey, yeah. families. Yeah. Come see this opera singer. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. I mean, that's that's really what I got. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun. 
I did too. Oh my god. I'm so glad that you were willing to go see it because yeah, I needed so you to see it. I'm so glad that I could see it. And you went by yourself because yeah. you were like, oh, I don't. And I was like, Gold Star has one discounted ticket up in the balcony. It's worth going alone. Do the it. The most bananas thing ever is what you said. I don't believe I've ever heard you describe anything that way ever. And it just was too intriguing to pass up. I mean, I was freaking out about the flop, but then when it turns into that rock song, The Beauty Underneath, and there's a giant eight foot dancing rat skeleton, I was like, okay, this is what we're seeing. This is happening. Um, What did I, yeah, some, yeah, I, I don't have any more positives. No. I really don't. I know. It was fun. But it's hot garbage. Yeah. Expensive, extravagant, just burning feces. Also, what is interesting to me is just from the soundtrack, the way that the poster design has changed. So, like, the the soundtrack has presumably the original design that has, like, a mask, but, like, a cool old-timey antique mask that looks like the varnish is cracked and it's just sort of, like, pretty and interesting versus the one that we saw where it's Liberace phantom mask. The the bedazzled phantom mask is hilarious because it's so perfect for what this is. Yes. It's so perfect for what yeah. this is. But the first one definitely feels dark and creepy. Yeah. Uh, which, like, its song with a ghost would make you think the show was going to be like. I Yeah, I think this might be our positivity corner with the fewest positives so now for our last segment people agree with us you guys so many people agree with i couldn't even i was trying to like get the timeline straight to like be like what what show even are they critiquing when i was trying to find Mm. articles so first i just had two tweets that i wanted to share which i don't normally but because that love should die twitter account is there damp scribbler which is a great name says watching love never dies act one might have made more sense if i'd ever seen phantom of the opera these people all seem like assholes (laughs) (laughs) and it's so true nobody is likable in this at all except maybe meg but then she tries to drown a child and then kill herself and then damp scribbler follows up with hmm maybe this will end like infinity war one can only hope (laughs) so yeah and then fm preacher's wife who went on a huge rant about her and her husband's experience said how did this get through the vetting system no wonder raul is a drunk i would be drunk all the time too (laughs) if i were a character in this play and she's the one her husband they must they had much nicer seats than we did and her husband was so upset at the amount of spitting that the phantom did during all the songs and he was so grossed out because you know they're singing As anyone has learned who's ever watched an actual opera, the way you show your love is scream singing directly into someone else's mouth. Ew. Yeah. Uh, From the Los Angeles Times, Love Never Dies, a sequel to Phantom of the Opera, Struggles to Abduct Us by Daryl H. Miller. The storytelling twists itself into knots, trying to make the Phantom less icky, most notably by attempting to convince us that Christine was more enamored of him in the first musical than we might have suspected. Still, with the tale barely underway, the Phantom not only abducts Christine once again, but her family as well. He later flies into a rage, then begs forgiveness. And once he meets the musically precocious Gustav, he develops a worrisome fixation on the boy as well. The Phantom's behavior is exactly what hashtag MeToo is calling out right now. The storytelling requires viewers to make leaps of logic and to reassess several beloved characters. Plot developments meant to be shocking are easily guessed beforehand, and the songs, though perceptively crafted, don't vault into the realm of instant classic. A theater review from On Stage and Screen by Aaron Conley. The story is flimsy, and each twist will be familiar to anyone who has ever seen a soap opera. 
there are maybe 15 minutes of solid plot and an additional cumbersome 2 hours and 25 minutes of characters singing repetitive, unmemorable songs at each other. While I admit the story of the original Phantom has never been my favorite, I have always truly appreciated the beautiful score. Sadly, not a single song here comes close to the level of the music from the original. Uh, another Twitter thing, Haley Leventhal says, PSA, if you like musicals or Phantom of the Opera or music or compelling stories slash characters, do not see Love Never Dies. There's $160 <laughs> and an hour of my life I'll never get back. So she definitely she did not stay. <laughs> but only one hour. It's like, it was two and a half hours, baby. The Broadway World Review about the Seattle production, Love Never Dies, Oh Please Let It overblown pile of musical theater ambien not only stretches out the story to a ridiculous effect but also by doing so exposes the original to what it really is a desperate need for therapy and a restraining order uh, christine protests raul pouts madame geary and meg seethe and nothing really gets resolved oh and spoiler guess who the real father of gustav is Something the Phantom comes to the realization of because he hears the kid play the piano for two seconds. <laughs> he has talent, so he must be. By that rationale, the Phantom is also the father of Chopin, Gershwin, and Stevie Wonder. So they took the first show, which was borderline at best, where they had a magical, mysterious mentor with his muse under a spell that could only be broken by her dashing true love. And they've taken it to a place where they've shown that there is no happily ever after. A spotlight is put on these characters and exposed them to be a creepy stalker still obsessed 10 years later, a willing victim who longs for the attention, and a petulant, drunken, gambling addict who's just become kind of a misogynistic jerk. And are we just going to blow past the fact that the kid is basically a product of rape? I guess we are. <laughs> the continued story doesn't revisit old friends. It pees on them, and in the most predictable and boring way. The music's utterly forgettable. But let's talk about the cast. I'm really happy for them that they get to keep up with their car payments and keep their medical insurance for being in this. They're very talented singers, and I hope someday they'll get to be in a good show again. <laughs> it's uh, so... Oh. It's harsh. Oh, Sir Andrew, why did you feel the need to do this to us? You couldn't have just left the fairy tale alone. You had to turn on the lights so that we can see... The magic is just a Christmas tree lights and glitter and the ruby slippers are just sequins. <laughs> and then she hopes that after what I saw last night, I hope soon we'll be getting part three, Gustav's Revenge. <laughs> I mean, the child's definitely going to grow up fucked up. So I'm a little disappointed, though, that it was to learn that it was. I mean, I'm OK. I have to go back to the ghost song in the production that we didn't see. OK. Because I was listening to the soundtrack and when I first heard that, I thought that it was Gustav. I thought it was like Madame Geary coming to the ruins and like finding Gustav there being like, we've always been here. And I was like, oh, that child did grow up creepy. Like, this is cool. I'm into that. Uh, and then it's, oh, it's just a ghost. I mean, oh, it's just a ghost. That's still cool. You're still a cool ghost, but not as cool as like weird, creepy monster child. I don't know. All right. So the London Times review called Same Phantom, Different Spirit by Ben Brantley where he says, its plot is so elaborate and implausible. If you don't know the first Phantom, you will be very confused. If you do know the first Phantom, you will also be very confused. In the London Evening Standard, Henry Hitchings wrote again about the West End production, that the story is largely predictable and flimsy. The chief problem is the book. It lacks psychological plausibility. Worse, it lacks heart. There's little pathos or emotional tension. There is also scarcely a moment of humor. The lyrics are prosaic and the flickers of light relief are merely confusing. 
Cape Cod Times called Phantom Sequel Doesn't Measure Up by Kathy Scrizzy Driscoll says, while occasionally sympathetic, this phantom is more often controlling and threatening, including to Christine, who seems too easily drawn again to a man who growls that he'll destroy everyone she loves if she doesn't sing his song. Right? Tough love choices between him and the always angry or self-pitying Raul. The resulting show is often beautiful, high spectacle, with an uneven score and a story that makes all of the original show's characters far less likable than before yes. and completely throws out its timeline. Multiple sources set Phantom in the 1860s, so how is it 1907 America just 10 years later for Love Never Dies? Only in a world where Lloyd Webber wanted to match up the intriguing Coney Island entertainment with a little boy who turns out to be exactly who you likely guess he would be in a script that is really melodramatic. Yeah, I, it is just, it's just, I guess that's, that's my biggest thing, is it, everyone is so unlikable, and if you connect it to the first, then why are you supposed to care? Because it turns out they're all terrible people. They all were, even the people who were supposed to be your reasons. And so really it's just a tragic story about Meg, and her tragic, tragic life, yep. that should have presumably end in suicide, but instead end in her killing, who used to be her best friend, and then running away to live in with her super hiding. crazy controlling mother. Yeah, with no money and nothing to maybe go be a vaudeville burlesque dancer in some other city. Good luck. I mean, I would say the Phantom would totally kill her, except that this Phantom is just a dude, so I don't really know. Right. Yeah. And he's got a child now, so that's what Gustav's revenge. Maybe, maybe it's Phantom. Maybe it's a buddy road co revenge comedy, and Phantom and Gustav go off to like hunt down Meg. That's not great. No, it's not. So Colleen Frakes on Twitter, just pointing out the differences between the first two. She's like, Phantom of the Opera. Christine says, A tears I might have shed for your dark fate Who and turned to tears of fate The tears I might have shed for your dark fate grow cold and turn to tears of hate phantom of the opera too love never dies christine says i was in love with the phantom and also we boned <laughs> and, it's like, yep, apparently. and while not a direct quote it might as well be yeah. these lyrics are insipid and trash yeah and then fug girls on twitter say Ugh, they were not a love story. He was obsessed. She thought he was an angel, and then she hated him, and then she pitied him, and then he killed someone for fun, and somewhere in there she banged him? No. <sighs> yep. All right, we just watched The Phantom of the Opera 2, The Search for More Money. No. All right, okay, we watched Relationship Toxicity, the musical. Nope. We watched Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera. I mean, yes, but no. We watched Tim Burton's Phantom of the Opera. Nah. All right, fine. We watched Love Never Dies. It's a mess. Most of these people don't seem to have had fun, <laughs> which is a shame because we totally did. Yeah, but we weren't invested in it. Like, I'm yeah, not invested in Phantom true. of the Opera. That's it's not true. my favorite musical. Uh, yeah, I'm not. In, I'm not. If either. this was something I cared about, I would be more mad. Yeah. And then lastly, I found there's this scholarly book by david chandler called the oxford handbook to the british musical that goes into all kinds of things and talks about how this is badly judged and one of the oddest sequels in theatrical history shaped by a peculiar love-hate relationship to its original and then he talks about perhaps there's something freudian in andrew lloyd weber's rewriting of this 
Um, Why? I don't know. <laughs> oh, something about displacement and destroying the authority of the earlier work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I hadn't gone to the next page. Chandler takes issue with the incompatibility of the plot and character motivations expressed in Love Never Dies vis-a-vis those in the original Phantom. Mm-hmm. As sequel and original are erected on such different imaginative premises, they cannot both be true. That's what I've been saying. Yeah. No, but you've been saying, so then make them both separate so they can both be true. Well, because they cannot both be true. And so I'm like, so therefore nothing is true and it's terrible. And you're just going, therefore they're both true, but separate. Yeah. So that's what that was. Yeah. If it's coming through your town and you can get discount tickets, I would say maybe. But I would not pay the full prices. No. You know, the $100 or more for the show? Absolutely not. If you can go for 35 or less. Yeah. I subscribed, so my tickets were 24 bucks. Holy cool. shit. That's, that's nice. Yeah, because I'm in the cheapest seats they have. So that's no problem. But this, and I'm really bummed, especially for the Phantom of the Opera fans who don't normally go to musicals, but loved Phantom, so shelled 150 bucks to come see this thing. And then this happened. Yeah, it's like George Lucas redoing Star Wars. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, prequels and whatnot. Yeah, they Jar Jar Binksed it. Well, and even even when he when they did the remastered version and made Greedo shoot first, not Greedo. Right. You know what I mean. You know what we mean. Yeah, or was it Greedo? I don't know. Maybe we should cut this. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. like... Why don't you say a sentence? It's like when George Lucas redid it and made it so Han didn't shoot first. Thank you. Covered. Okay. <laughs> it's like when George Lucas, you know, just even remastered the original Star Wars, made it so that Han didn't shoot first. Right? It's messed up. <laughs> editing so thanks for listening yep and we'll maybe be around sometime in the future to talk about everything everything that's wrong with with something something else. else